Welcome to the ONS Energy Talks, a podcast where you meet experts on energy, technology and sustainability. Hello and welcome to the ONS 2020 podcast series on the theme of Together. And in these interviews, we'll have a focus on what it takes of leadership to drive collaboration and togetherness in the energy industry at a time of radical transition. My name is Nashita Dasulheim. I'm the author of The Leadership Pin Code, CEO of Progressing Minds and an executive coach. I'm going to be your host today in this podcast, where I'm joined by Henrik Yesman Sunder, who is the founder and CEO of Zello and the chair of ONS Young Conference Committee. He's here to share his story about how we build new companies and products that support innovation in the industry, how you can take your initiative one step further and encourage aspiring young leaders. Now, normally I'd start with a short introduction and bio before welcoming my guest, but today I'm going to let him to do that himself because his story is really inspirational and I think he probably will be better telling it himself. So welcome, Henrik. My pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time in your schedule. I know you're flying off to the States this weekend to San Francisco. Sounds very exciting. We'll get into that. But let me just begin by asking you, who is Henrik the entrepreneur? Tell me a little bit about your background. Well, um, it started off as uh, a guy which graduated as a pilot. Uh, after long years, I started my initial uh, education as, as a private uh, pilot at 16 years. Away. Right, right. And uh, it was more uh, looking at the skies, uh, seeing the, the travel potential, seeing where, where to go, and of course also having the the more or less okay can i master this can i master flying a uh, an aircraft in the sky uh, and all the different risks and potential hazards that were that's in that environment right so so for me it's uh, it started off as more of a feeling of mastery and a challenge uh, and then uh, it more more or less segued into okay do i want to pursue this kind of career do i want to want to fly uh, and, and commercial jet or do I want to more uh, pursue new entrepreneurial endeavors so so for me it's it was more about this this choice of is it the more traditional uh, career path uh, that most of us pursue or should I break out and more or less uh, create something unique and something that that that's original that's I created and, and of course, my co-founder. So what I find really interesting about that choice that you made is, for me at least, they are two ends of the safety spectrum. On the one hand, you have a career for life. It's secure. It's a great career. It gives you a lot of opportunities and security of income. And sure. certainly that feeling that you're, you're on a set path. And at the same time, you contemplated that and decided, no, I'd just like to start my own business, which is at the other end of the spectrum of uncertainty. And we'll get a little bit into what you decided your business was going to be, but really not knowing how that's going to turn out. Where does that entrepreneurial, let's say, risk-taking side of you come from? Well, I view it a bit differently. So, so I, saw, I looked at the pilot profession and I looked at the airline industry 
And if you uh, analyze the airline industry, and there's this uh, this uh, Porter's five forces, there are different types of of powers that that influence the different uh, the different segments of industries. Uh, and then you actually realize that this uh, more or less a safe job uh, actually isn't that safe. Right. Uh, especially in the airline industry, uh, it's a shifting environment. And uh, if we look ahead 10, 15 years, how's the airline industry going to look like? Is it drones? Is, it, is there any market for, for pilots going forward? We don't know, do we? So, so it, was, it was more a, uh, a choice for me in my head uh, of do I want to uh, pursue a career in, in an industry where I am fixed to one profession? Or do I want to uh, have more control myself and actually try to adapt to the changing uh, industries and the changing pace of society? So, so for me, I viewed it a bit differently, uh, more or less. Okay, you're more free. On the other hand, uh, you had I had nothing there and then, but but I saw that at least I could control somehow my my destiny more than being within a company and not being in control. I love that because what you're really tapping into is something I think a lot of industries are challenged with, which is how will digitalization and automation change long-term career opportunities in those industries? So will flights even need human pilots going forward, for example? I understand that. So you make the decision to become the entrepreneur who builds his own business. So tell me about that, how you decided which business you were going to get into and what that early decision really looked like. Well, first of all, I uh, had to tell my mother, right? <laughs> so uh, I came home. Uh, it was uh, I graduated uh, as a pilot. They had a nice surprise party for me. Uh, and oh. then after a while, I had to sit down with my parents and, and discuss and say, actually, uh, this is great. I have a feeling of mastery now. I have this license. I completed my, my, my education. It's great. Uh, but I don't think I, I'm going to pursue that right now. I think I would like, I would like to, to, to start a new uh, company together with my, uh, my co-founder, Simon, which I played in a band with. Uh, and uh, that was based on my education. Because I saw that if you're actually going to be a pilot, you have to have 14 exams in 14 days. And then you have to have 75% correct on each test. Problem is uh, that your brain can't handle that much. So you have to do the traditional, right? Reading, 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 and then just doing the test. And then two weeks after, what's what, what remains in your head is well, like a gray cloud of knowledge, right? Right. Um, so, of course, in the airline industry, there's uh, systems that handle this uh, retention. You have to have tests and, and the safety record is really, really good. So, so that was not my concern. It was more, okay, how can we take uh, and simplify information more in today's society and use it in a more efficient way, right? So that made me into this path where we were simplifying information and that made me start uh, my first company together with Simon, uh, Zoring, which was uh, like the value of it is that we simplify information and condense it down 
to short uh, animation videos for businesses. So it could be anything. Uh, it could be value offer. It could be some new procedures, or it could be, be any information that needs to be simplified. And I think we all know that there's a lot of, of over communication out there and complex information. So so that's where we initially started uh, with with Zoring. So so in a way, your experience from training as a pilot had triggered some reflections and thoughts that led to sure. deciding that this is a business. I do have to say I would love to see in your mother's face when you decided <laughs> to tell her that instead of being a pilot, you'd like to meet up with your bandmate and, and launch a business that you're not quite sure about where it's going to go. I think that's great. But a, a credit to your family and to you that pursuing that passion and the uncertainty that comes with launching a business really shows your commitment to what you're doing. And Tell me about how it's gone since. Yeah, first of all, I'm hugely grateful also for having that support because I, I don't think I would be where I am today without that kind of support, uh, both from my family and my 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 girlfriend. So, so I think that's uh, that's decisive for some uh, young person to to actually pursue that kind of in in other view uh, in others view risk, but in the person's view an opportunity, right? Right. So, so uh, very important. The risk has both sides. Sure. It has upside and downside. So, I'm really pleased that you make that point. So, going forward, uh, we started uh, trying to more or less tailor our product to the uh, market, and that's the process which I really love. When you have to go and ask and interview all these different types of personalities and, and really validate that. There is a problem out there. So we started asking, do you have a problem with complex information? Yes, of course, everyone has. How do you solve it today? Uh, well, we don't know. Uh, we we tried to, to tailor the text or we tried to to make some kind of arrangement or ha have a presentation. And, and then more or less we saw, okay, if we can provide a really short, concise process for these companies that simplified their information and made an animation video, which in... 2012, 2013 was really that was innovation, right? Because ah, you have a web page, you need a you need a video, and uh, there was if you in in Norway in 2013, if you were a company and you didn't have a web page with an animation video or a video on, you weren't a real company. So that's right. changed, right? Yeah. But but then it was a nice window for us, and of course, I think a lot of companies use these small windows of opportunity to have their initial growth. Going. So, so for us, that was uh, that was hugely beneficial, and and we use that to to grow and to serve companies in in Norway with simplification of of information. And how has that journey developed then to, as I understand it, taking you now into the US? Sure. Yeah. Um, so we had this animation company. Uh, we provided a lot of nice, uh, good content to large businesses, small businesses. But then we saw that some of these mostly larger businesses had didn't have the effect of the content which we anticipated. And then we started again asking questions. Why? Why is that? And we saw that a lot of managers with internal comms especially were in a split between the email channel of communication, the SharePoint, and a lot of social uh, channels, which could be Slack, it could be Teams, it could be uh, SMS, text. And then we saw, okay, how can we make those channels more efficient? 
So we actually, with acknowledging this problem, we started another business, which now is called Cello. Uh, and Cello recognizes that each and every employee has their own preferred channel. So you might like Slack for some type of content, and I might like email. And then when, when the internal com manager or HR manager or, or CEO wants to communicate to the business, uh, it just press send, and then it sends out in the preferred channel of each and every individual, right? So you and I would get the same information, but you would get it through mail, and I would get it through Slack. Yes, and then you layer on timing. So you might, for instance, like to consume your content in the morning, and I might like in the evening or on Tuesdays. And then again, uh, we can track this and, and tailor the content, which is also distributed. So, so for us, that's a huge new endeavor, uh, which also we have a lot of customers in, in the EU, but now we're also landing and expanding in, in the US and already a lot of customers there. And what kind of interest are you getting there? What kind of customers are you finding or looking to take on this kind of, it feels very tailor-made feed of information. Well, it spans from compliance uh, and uh, courses on to more change processes, uh, trying to collect the data on where the friction is is coming in in the corporation when it, when you're going through these change processes. Uh, and of course, also onboarding, which is a huge vertical for us new employees coming in and in the u.s they have the term employee experience uh, which is closely uh, fusioned into how the customer experience is so you have to practice what you preach uh, and in uh, that's something which we see coming also more and more to europe this employee experience term uh, which covers the whole span of onboarding all the communication uh, to and with the employee all the way to to uh, to uh, either the employee leaving or, of course, uh, some other event. And if I understand you correctly, then it's much more focused on what, how does somebody want to receive information rather than how do we want to share it. Sure. So it's much more driven by the it's, consumer. It's listening to the employees. The empathy of it is the, the twist. So there's two schools of thought. Uh, the traditional one is everyone going into one platform, logging in, username, password, right? Uh, we want to uh, turn that on its head and say every individual has their own preferred channel, their own preferred timing, and listening to the employees will give you the data to, to actually iterate on your employee experience and create a better culture. What I really like uh, about what you're describing, and I work as a leadership developer, so I'm often working with leaders trying to help them to develop more empathy mm -hmm. with their employees or teams and to try and understand or get into the heads of sure. their employees to give them what they need, is that you're doing that through the use of communication and communication technology and encouraging leaders to have to ask those questions uh, and really get into how is not not is what you want to say, but how do people want to receive that information? I think it's a great way of helping leaders to understand what empathy can look like in a daily practice in terms of what they're trying to do at work. Yeah, and it, as a manager, it gets harder and harder when you have the uh, or more difficult, I should say, uh, when you have a decentralized workforce. Because they're not True. just there, right? right? So you can't have the 
personal body language. You can't have all these inputs which you normally use to tailor your message to the employee. So we see that uh, having this shift, which we're seeing in, in all the different industries, from centralized workforce to a decentralized uh, uh, organization, there is a need for data collection and uh, uh, using that data to tailor the message to the individual uh, digitally. And the experience then for the individual receiving it is they feel there's been a personal communication relationship because I'm getting the information the way I like it. Absolutely. Even though there's a geographic distance perhaps between me and the person I'm communicating with. In my experience, it's more of narrowing the gap between the different locations using uh, more of a advanced technology and, and the tools that we're providing to, to actually make people feel closer than they are today because the technology is is more and more sophisticated so for for us it's it's a uh, it's a journey which has just started and and of course uh, make people feel more like a team because i think there's a there's a lot of organization also today that that works this way and and for us it's paramount that we can can ensure this into the future because it's not sustainable having everyone uh, going to to one place and traveling that much but also of course uh, i think the the um the lifestyle is more can we uh, be on one place can we have the the uh, let's say the quality of life of not having to travel that much in with business but then again have the communication and the data points to sustain the the tailored employee experience which we have today and make you feel as though you have a real relationship with uh, with the people in your team, no matter where they are. Yes. It's a great, great point. Where do you see Zorin going, or Zillow going, I should say now? Where are you, what are your ambitions with that? For us, it's providing this service to our clients and, and providing the tailored employee experience uh, to to more and more companies uh, using machine learning and, and looking at how, how much data can we use to actually tailor this. Uh, is there any, do, do we like to consume data when we're commuting or do we like to consume content when we're commuting or is it more a, a weather related issue? I know for sure that if you're uh, in Oslo in Norway and sending out uh, content in a warm day in June uh, you're not going to get that m- many opens on your on your content because right. people are going, going to be outside enjoying the sun uh, but then again in the same day if you're in Stavanger and it's raining which is unfortunately it rains more in Stavanger than, than, in, than in Oslo uh, then you might have more open so using weather data we can use a lot of data on tailoring the content distribution in a company. So just exploring those data points and, and sources uh, for us is, is going to be a, a great journey. And it's a lot about human behavior. Sure. It's much more about what we're doing outside of the work environment, how we live our lives, what we choices we make about when we choose to consume information. Yes. Really interesting. Tell me a little bit about your inspirations when it comes to people, role models, for example, leaders that you've, you look to or of either related industries or other industries that you have drawn upon as you've been working as an entrepreneur? 
Sure, and I think uh, that's where the network and uh, and my mentors have played a huge role uh, because in building a business, for me, the most important part is that people should feel included and there should be a compassion within the business and people should feel like it's more or less a family because in the start, in in building a, a organization, you're going to work very hard uh, you're, you're going to have to listen a lot to your coworkers, work together. Uh, and uh, if you have silo, uh, silo communi- uh, communication silos in, in the start, it's really not good at all. So for me, it's creating that inclusive culture. But then again, you have to balance it so well with listening to the earliest customers and having this outward-facing uh, mentality so it's a really hard balancing act having, okay, we need to stand together and we need to support each other in everything. But then again, we have to be so focused on the customer and every customer, every deal, getting those closed when uh, in the start you don't have a, a lot of chances. You just have to secure the business. And uh, so for me, that's traditionally, it's a, um, they're opposites, right? So trying to, to, to combine those in a way that people can, can uh, understand and can regulate themselves, that's really important to me. And that's, I think, one of the success, success factors of early stage companies that you can, can have this togetherness and uh, it's a great team for, for ONS also together and, and ha- looking outwards and saying, okay, how is our customers thinking? What's their problems? And that's in the end... The, uh, the what's securing our our uh, employees and our uh, livelihoods that we're we're solving their problems. And when you're talking about those ideals, let's say, or values in terms of how you're building the culture within the company, you talk about compassion and you talk about performance. I'm curious as to you mentioned the importance of mentors. Mm-hmm. Have you had mentors throughout your journey as an entrepreneur? Do you still have a mentor today? Since day one. Okay. So as I mentioned, uh, I started both Soaring and Cello with my co-founder, Simon. Uh, He played the bass in our band. I was singing. I'm not singing anymore. Uh, He's playing. That's a a pity. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's playing the bass uh, still in, in some bands. Um, we started off with one mentor. Uh, we had meetings every second week. Uh, he taught us uh, a lot of things uh, with regards to, of course, culture building, but then again, how to talk with with and uh, for customers also. Um, so it's absolutely crucial in the early days to have a mentor, to learn and to be able to listen uh, to these mentors and, and use the, the information which you have in your type of context because it's never going to be 100% the same as they had. So for me, it's been absolutely crucial. And then after some years, we, we started having different types of mentors in different types of areas, right? Culture building, you have some, some mentors in, in more commercialization, product mentor. So for us, that has been the way we grew ourselves, right? Because we have to constantly uh, evolve our knowledge on the different areas. And uh, 
for me, it's been a journey. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not often you have the time to look back on the journey and all the people that actually supported you and gave you all this knowledge. But, but when me and uh, Simon and myself, when we, when we, we regularly stop and look back, and when we do that, we, we recognize how uh, an awesome of a journey this has been and uh, how much we actually have learned over the years. And how did you go about finding mentors to work with? Because I can imagine people listening into this who are thinking about starting their own business or have already started on that journey, thinking, that wouldn't it be great to have the advice and support of experienced business leaders, other entrepreneurs to help us on this journey. So how did you go about finding these people and encouraging them to support you? Again, it depends on where you're located. These types of networks are uh, very different, whereas if you're in the UK, if you're in the US or or else, um, one common denominator is more... um, network so you have to be out there you have to be in some kind of events starting asking questions and then somehow and some way the universe is uh, able to find you some kind of coffee with someone which can then either be your network and sorry your mentor or uh, your uh, somebody who can bring you to your mentor so i think getting the word out there asking those questions uh having a, a fixed agenda for what do you want to achieve, uh, more of a purpose or direction, uh, is going to, it's going to be much easier for you to find the right mentor in that way. Uh, but finding the first mentor, I think it's more of the hardest part, right? After that, you can always use that mentor to have your next mentor or recommend someone or introduce you. Or So uh, in our case, it, it actually was a a um, network in Stavanger which which had this type of different mentors and and we find uh, we found Tim and Tim is still with us today he's the chairman it's a great story and I think it's inspirational for people who are listening and, and curious about how they find that kind of advice and support that it is available it's about putting yourself out there as you describe and that curiosity that I can very clearly hear coming from you, but also to use that in a way to be curious about who is around and how could they help us. So that's a great piece of advice, Henrik. Do you look to role models outside of your immediate network? Are there leaders that you're inspired by or perhaps well-known, perhaps maybe not people in your own circle that have inspired you on your journey? Well, I I don't have a lot of like personality uh, personalities that I that I look up to like specifically it's more or less uh, area related so of course I have some some type of founders or some type of industry uh, experts that are really good at scaling companies right uh, and then on other areas it's more or less okay how how do you how does these type of leaders uh, secure uh, the more culture fit or the inclusiveness. So it's more or less uh, getting out there and picking uh, the best of uh, 
every area, right? Shopping for what you need. Yeah, sure. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I like the way you've referred a couple of times to this idea of culture being very important. Mm. And I know we've talked about compassion and performance has been something you've really focused on, but that you've looked to find a mentor to help you have that focus. And I've seen many a time as businesses grow, perhaps that becoming something that's forgotten or put to the side in favor of driving the commercial focus or the value creation or the product development. Yeah. And and then again, you have the human aspect of being an entrepreneur, uh, which is also very important to highlight here. And and that's an area which I have gradually had to uh, grow personally because there's so much pressure, right? You have a lot of pressure when you start growing your business and suddenly you're responsible for the salary of tens and tens or hundreds of people and it's up to you to to secure this, right? It's a, it's a large organization and for me it's... Um, I started out reading uh, a book by Thich Nhat Hanh, which is called Being Peace. Uh, I know it. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's very a nice, neat book. It's yeah. not uh, a long book, but it's a very uh, important book. And it's followed me uh, during the course of these years. And when I ha- had especially uh, busy times or times where we had to to do difficult decisions, and that's one of the strengths being uh, two founders, not a single founder, then we can discuss um, that's something which I really appreciate, having these long conversations with Simon. Uh, then I've also referred to going back to that book and see, okay, can let's read a bit again and s- listen to your heart and, and see, okay, how is this right for me? Okay, we can choose to grow much, much faster, but then I don't know if I'm going to be well enough to handle the company afterwards or we could do uh, a more not a step-by-step but a bit slower growth but then your head is coping and we've always chosen the more human or more we have to keep the head with us and uh, the body also following and some would criticize us for that because we could have grown faster but for us that's a uh, ph- philosophical choice so we just said that's our principle and what i find very interesting about that is it's a very conscious and purposeful approach to following your values and following your way than being driven by expectations perhaps stakeholders or investors or other people who probably would like you to be doing it faster Yeah, and I think you can draw the lines back to a small teenage boy which uh, wanted to master uh, the the mystery of flight, right? It's about having control. It's about mastering, but not uh, uh, going outside the limits. And I think for us, it's very important to be in control. We can drive fast, but we have to be in control. Uh, So that limits our ability to, let's say, grow extremely fast uh, because I know a lot of my best friends are founders of of companies that have grown ultra fast, right? So 
uh, and and they had a, they have another or a, a different kind of principle and and that works great for a year but as me i'm i'm destined to be or more or less i would like to be in this uh ball game and industry for a long long time creating new companies that's what i love so so for me it's more uh i have to do this in a way which can support uh, my both my health and 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 how how we're building the company and the employees for a long time right so important to have a sustainable perspective on that sure what's been your main takeaway from that book you'd share with listeners that you think if you if you recommend that book to them what would you say has been so important what i always remember is uh when you're in the entrepreneurial uh uh, aspect or entrepreneurial journey you always go outside your comfort zone and there's a chapter there which says when you uh, smile you can't feel fear so I often smile before I go into some new meetings uh, or some uh, presentations which I I have rehearsed for but I might be a bit nervous then I smile and uh, it, it goes well That's a wonderful message. Uh, And there's actually a neuroscience to that, that when we smile, when we create that physical expression of happiness, that actually triggers also positive hormones. So I I love that you're sharing that message. And I think such an important part of the entrepreneurial journey when you're facing a lot of demands and challenges, no doubt. So... As we see now that you're moving quickly, but purposefully and steadily towards growing your company internationally, what, is it, what does it really take from you as the leader of, of your business to, to do that in a way that has everybody with you and moving in the same direction? First of all, what meets you or what, you, what you're required to do is tough priorities, right? So right. you need to find out what you should do now, what you cannot do, uh, and what you should do later. And uh, that's always an uh, enduring uh, battle with, uh, of course, the head and the heart. There's a lot of things which you could do before where you could be a lot more uh, there and close to every employee supporting them, which you cannot do now. And uh, that's more about building those systems and building those uh, mechanisms in the organization so that you can fulfill those needs in another way, but you can't be there personally. So for me, that's been the biggest change. And also socially uh, building a framework where you maintain your relationships personally with friends, family, at home, and... um, of course, then you start to get a lot of different dialogues with investors, uh, with large customers, and and that's more or less the the biggest change when you grow your company that you have to be much more precise in what you want to do now and how you should prioritize. How important is it that you and Simon are alike, think the same way, view? the challenges and the opportunities in the same way? I think it's very important. The uh, fun part of it is that I've always been the commercial guy. 
so I've been the sales guy, uh, the, the one talking with the, the prospect, converting the customer, and then Simon has always been the now we have to deliver and keep the customer happy guy. So of course, as you you might think, there's been a lot of different discussions there when in the early days when I might have been just selling a bit overselling there, and then Simon uh, had to deliver right right so uh been better on that over the years so okay. we don't argue much now uh but that's the that's more our type of uh conversation so we we he's responsible of delivering the product or the video uh and then i'm the one one selling so so we're we're when we're discussing strategy uh we have different viewpoints coming from different sides of the organization. So that's really a strength for us. Uh, more commercial from, from my side and the more like we have to be able to deliver this and keep our customer happy and answer the problem that we're really addressing. So uh, that, that's that been our dynamic. It's It sounds great because on the one hand, you're both very different, but you work very well together and it sounds like you have a great relationship that you can have those differences and still continue to... Yeah, there was one Correct. advisor which said, okay, you're like Sherlock Holmes and Einstein because oh. I, this uh, Sherlock Holmes guy, which is me, is only talking all the time, right? Okay. And <laughs> Simon is thinking and thinking and thinking and when he speaks, it's always 100% correct and uh, it's really, really true. Fantastic. Yeah. I have an image of that now in my mind of the two of you sitting together on a sofa having great conversations. Yeah. So I'm curious what advice you would give leaders, young leaders who are thinking about doing what you're doing, what kind of pitfalls can you help them to navigate or avoid? What kind of challenges do you think they're going to come up across, come across? First of all, I think the answer is yes on what they're thinking. So if they're curious about doing something or if they're like having some thoughts in their minds, Yes, they should absolutely do that. Right. And that's the first step. Just go for it. Yes, because then you start in one direction and then you can always alter that direction. Uh, But the main challenge of just starting is being uh, stopped or being just not moving anywhere. Uh, So instantly when you start moving in some kind of direction talking to someone or asking questions you're going to get a lot of feedback from different types of persons some persons you should not listen to uh, some persons that would give you extremely valuable advice and then of course you have the um the more statistically significant if you talk to a lot of people you would get the the main message right so I think listening to a wider range of, of people and then, then deciding yourself how to alter the course. But then, first of all, just get moving in some kind of direction. It's great advice. And you mentioned the importance of having a mentor earlier. So I think that's also something they sure. will probably take away with them to get somebody close that they can spar with and discuss yeah, those and, issues with. and over the first five persons you ask about your idea, expect that three of them would say, absolutely not, this is not a good idea. But, but do not be put off by it. Absolutely. Keep yeah. going. Yeah, go. So easy to be 
in a way sidetracked by those kinds of feedbacks when you're new and you're uncertain and figuring things out. So I think it's great to hear from somebody who's handling this so successfully that to carry on and pursue that. Yeah, and it also applies to like innovation within large organizations. It's exactly the same ecosystem, right? You know, if you if you're doing something new in a large organization and you want to stay in that organization, that's fine. But the me- mechanics of how you're going to be met is the same. So you're going to get this wide range of people saying absolutely not and then one or two is actually going to say, that's a great idea. You need to talk with this guy or this person. And that's where you should go. So you're working very closely with, well, as the chair of ONS Young. Tell me a little bit about your reflections on the importance of having that kind of arena in the energy industry. What do you see its influence or its impact going forward? It's paramount for that target group and for the young people uh, in the energy uh, space because there's so much different types of messages out there and it is the most important uh, case for the future and for the the young generation to to solve right it's it's uh, it's something which is going to be with us for a long, long time and the energy uh, issue and the energy shifts, of course, is a case which we have to solve together. So so just having people reflect upon how we can do that and, of course, in the first instance, just discovering that there is a shift going on here and how that correlates with global population growth uh, to how we we understand the different uh, uh, population areas going out of poverty into middle class and uh, only that perspective there gives you a huge advantage on how to position yourself on the both the energy shift issue but also of course the climate issue and is there a dilemma that you see the industry facing that you think ONS Young could really put a spotlight on or could have a particular influence towards? It's the messaging because the environment right now is so, um, there's so much overcommunication from different sides, from totally opposites. And it's, right. I think the arena of ONS Young really provides a more balanced and fair. Uh, debate and that's what that's not uh, what you see in my view today uh, in the uh, in the media and and just having young people coming into the ONS young uh, events and discussing giving them a balanced and fair uh, message and making uh, giving them the opportunity to make up their mind based on that is the main mission for us and and today you don't see a lot of arenas like that and it's so important both for the industry but of course also for for the young generation so they can make up their mind on on an issue which is going to they're going to be facing the tens of tens of years right so so for a long time they're going to be we're we're all going to be dealing with this issue and if you look forward now to august when we have ons coming up is there anything in particular you'd like to see ONS Young doing or addressing? Uh, 
elaborating on the messaging on that, I think that's the most important thing for us to set the stage there. And then it's more for the young generation to make up their mind on how they uh, want to position themselves on that. But of course, we need to give a clear message to the rest of ONS and to all the, the organizations that participate in ONS that the young voice is something that is very important and it should not be taken for granted. And it's a voice that uh, is going to be uh, essentially how we, we look at the future, right? So because in, in 40 years from now, that's going to be the industry actors. So it's very important for us to highlight those uh, voices. I think that's a great point on which to wrap up our dialogue. I could, of course, continue. I find your reflections fascinating uh, in uh, being an entrepreneur. Uh, I don't know that it's relevant to say young entrepreneur. I think entrepreneurialism in itself is just very interesting and challenging. Um, wishing you the best of success, not luck, uh, with the business as it goes forward. And thank you very much for coming along today, Henrik. Thank you for having me.